Hey everyone, welcome back to Elevate Overtime. This is Michael. I'm the teaching pastor for Elevate Community Fellowship right out of Keene Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm so glad that you're listening to Elevate Retake. We are in our overtime sessions right here, right now. We're diving into a conversation that I had with April Snyder called Try Beauty. It's part of our You Gotta Try This series, and it was so fun to dive a little bit deeper into the Bible and to answer some of your questions in this overtime session. We're also joined by Jonathan Coker, Semu Sialoga, and Evelyn Gill. I hope that you enjoy this conversation and it sheds a little bit more light on beauty and its expression of worship in the Bible. So enjoy this session and this conversation. What are we doing, April? Hey. Hey. How's it going? It is good. We are back with Elevate Overtime. It's you and me on Zoom, and I think we've got one person person watching on YouTube now. Oh, there's Semu. Yes. There's always room for one more. Oh, what's up? What's up? <laughs> Semu, hey, Semu. Glad, glad to hey, have you on. Room. But hey, we're gathered here for Elevate Overtime. Um, thank you for those of you that are watching on YouTube right now or watch this later or hearing it on the podcast. I am just realizing I need to turn my notifications off. So get notifications during this. So the goal and purpose about what we're going to set out to do this morning, April and I had a conversation uh, within the series titled, You Gotta Try This. And what was the topic we talked about? April? Beauty. Yes, we were talking about beauty and aesthetics, and we jumped off um, a passage in Psalm 27. But before we open up the Bible and get to some questions that people have asked, uh, Pastor Semu, since you just took a big uh, swig of Gatorade, would you mind saying a word of prayer for us as we start? Sure, no problem. Let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, for your spirit now to uh, lead our discussion and to be with us and be with everyone who is uh, watching, um, be with them as well. I pray, Father, that uh, the end of the discussion, Father, may bring glory and honor to your name and maybe for the blessing of uh, for the blessing of others. Thank you, Father God, for your love, mercy, and grace that is sufficient and abundant. This I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, sir. Um, so we started off in Psalm 27, verse 4. It says, The one thing I asked from the Lord, this is David speaking, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the place of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Uh, and I love that passage. Clearly the passage that we're using today for our discussion, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And that's what we talked about this morning. If you're watching now um, after this conversation and you didn't catch this morning, you're going to want to go back and uh, uh, watch this morning's Elevate service where we unpack this a little bit more. And if you're listening on a podcast later, you're going to want to go back and catch the full conversation because we're just going to kind of be jumping into a halfway point here. Um, wanted to talk a little bit as we started out. April, you and I mentioned this morning a lot about the sanctuary. We talked about Exodus. We talked about the beauty of the sanctuary. But as I was reflecting upon uh, what we talked about this morning, I feel like we missed the whole goal and end point of the sanctuary, that the sanctuary is all pointing to something super beautiful and we didn't necessarily touch. Oh, I'm interested. Keep going. <laughs> so we, we alluded to the fact that the, the sanctuary is, uh, is, a, is an aesthetic and a beautiful picture of God's plan for redemption or plan of redemption. 
uh, mm. and all the way through the sanctuary. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time unpacking that to this afternoon, but uh, a whole lot of, uh, of imagery, of animal sacrifice, of, of showbread, of light, of incense, of all these uh, amazing, beautiful things, and yes. the presence of God being in the sanctuary. Uh, and the one thing that we didn't mention was all this is pointing to Jesus. Yes. The sacrifice of Jesus. So I want to start a question there. I don't really have a question about that, but I feel like we should just unpack a little bit more the significance of the sanctuary um, and how the beauty of the sanctuary uh, leads to our a better understanding of the beauty of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Mm. I think that um, you, you did uh, touch on it just a tad when you say you can tell the character and the personality of the person of the house when you go into them and go into the house and you can see what it looks like and how it's decorated and organization, lack of organization. Mm -hmm. And I think when we see how much detail and how, how things had to be a certain way to reflect properly mm -hmm. the character of God, mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. Like certain things had to be done a certain way. And I'm sure back at that time, the people of Israel were, wondering why do things have to be done this way because it had to reflect right. properly pure sacrifice of christ it can't mm -hmm. you know when we're lazy in and reflecting christ's character I, it that you we see the importance and the value that the type had to match yeah properly i don't know if you want to add on to that yeah i think the 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 way that god orchestrated and um architected i don't even know if that's a word uh, the, the sanctuary, how he built it, how he designed it. That design is probably the word, right? How we designed that. I think about the meticulousness that he put into that. And then yeah. the, the meticulousness that that then shows of how detailed he was in the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit getting together and planning salvation. Like imagine the conversation back eternity past that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit get together and they say, there's the possibility that evil will occur. And there's the possibility that a people that we create will fall. Mm. And their foreknowledge, knowing what's to come, they know this is going to happen, so they got a plan for it. And they get together and they begin to right. talk about how will we redeem humanity if humanity falls. Mm. When humanity falls, how will we redeem humanity? And I think that conversation, is would it would be an incredible conversation to eavesdrop on i don't know if we'll ever have the chance to as god unpacks that for us in heaven uh but all of that is and then and then to think the the plan of salvation god's like got this big big plan and he says how am i going to represent i think your song cut out uh michael yeah just cut out for just a second are you are you back with us i still we still can't hear you I was, I was talking about how it'd be, it's God taking the plan of salvation and then putting that into the sanctuary and saying, this is how I'm going to represent the plan of salvation of the children of Israel. And I think there's incredible, incredible beauty in that. I know you guys can take it, run it, run, run with it from there. Verse to that, Samu, right before you jump in, I want to add a verse to that. Uh, Psalms 96 verse eight says, ascribe to the Lord, the glory of his name. And how can you give how can you ascribe a characteristic to somebody when you don't know anything? About, mm. Like, how do you know, ascribe to the Lord mm. the glory of his name? 
it, I, I think when we see the things that he does and the beauty, then we can ascribe that glory. It doesn't say ascribe to him, you know, all the things that he's done or the sacrifices. It says ascribe to him the glory of his name. Mm -hmm. And I think when you think of all the beautiful things that he's created, it's, 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 it's easier. And, and that is talking about the sanctuary because following that it says bring an offering and come into his courts. Mm. So ascribing to him the glory of his name. All right, Samuel, take it. Oh, no. I was going to add um, the beauty of the sanctuary, um, like Pastor Michael was saying, that uh, it points to the great plan of salvation. I think it also points us to present truth. And um, in, in my own terms, what is present truth? I think present truth is a present location or work that Jesus is doing on our behalf. And we know that he's our great high priest and he's interceding for us. So I think it points as well to the beauty of his current work on our behalf. Wow, that is deep. Um, I, I don't know if you wanted to answer some of these questions, Pastor Michael. Yeah, let's go there. Um, should we talk about Lucifer? That, yeah, that's interesting. What was the, the question? Somebody uh, asked a question uh, this morning. And by the way, if anybody's watching on YouTube, uh, you can go ahead and put some questions in the comments. I'm kind of I'm keeping track of those comments. If you're on YouTube, go ahead and click over to the, the chat box. So, um, I know that was, was not Lucifer's own beauty what caused him to fall. Mm. I think that is true. Um, and this is a perfect example of Romans chapter one, where Paul directs our attention to the cascading events that led to people's minds being darkened and their, their drive to follow God being diminished. And I think that Lucifer took that route. He glorified the creation rather than the creator. And there's nothing wrong in seeing the beauty of, of something, but, um, and including yourself, but I, I think that his beauty and his desire to acknowledge himself led him to led him down a dark path when he kept when he kept focusing his attention only on that and not for uh the reason that he was made and that was to glorify god yeah absolutely let's go uh real quick to ezekiel 28 uh, if you guys want to pull that up if you're watching you're part of zoom right now let's go ahead and pull that up um, and kind of unpack that, I think, a little bit more and kind of see how uh, a, a misappropriation of beauty is what led to, um, to Satan's downfall. So um, Ezekiel 28, uh, 11 and 12, and this particular passage has uh, been seen by a lot of, of scholars to, to talk about a particular um, historical individual called the King of Tyre, um, but it's also uh, describing the experience of Satan when he, when he fell from heaven. Um, and beginning in verse 11, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in what? Beauty. Oh, Pastor Michael, we lost you again on your mic. You're back now. I'm back now. Okay. I'm going to forget messing around with you. See, I don't need fancy mics. We're just going to put that away use my computer mic. I was trying to be too fancy today. Um, so you were in the Eden, you were in Eden, the garden of God. This is verse 13 of Ezekiel uh, 28. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, the emerald, the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets, 
Um, you were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until righteousness was found in you. Uh, and that's an incredible description. And I think we all start off that way, um, that we're created blameless in our ways and we're righteous when God finds us and that. But it continues on to say, um, by the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of what? Because of what? Beauty, yes, yeah. exactly. So you corrupted uh, your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground and I put you before kings so that you may see. Uh, and then the text goes on, continues to talk about what God's going to do to Satan and, and, and to Lucifer and all that. Uh, but this is an incredible uh, passage that describes exactly that. The person that asked the question, the answer to the question is yes. Uh, beauty was what caused Lucifer ultimately to fall. And it was a, a misappropriation of beauty. That Lucifer is thinking for himself, I, I, I'm, look at me, I, I'm, I'm beautiful. I, I am such a great person. I am this, I am that, I am beautiful. God's created me this way. Uh, and it's the, it, the classic Romans, I think, is it Romans 2? We keep throwing this verse around um, and not actually quoting it. Uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. And that's exactly what happened to Lucifer. Uh, he decided to worship his own beauty instead of worshiping God. I want to pull some strings together, if you don't mind. Um, I like how Ezekiel says the seal of perfection. And when we think of the seal of perfection, I don't think now or ever somebody could seal themselves i don't think that you can seal yourself and say this is the seal of perfection i am perf i am i am the, the judge of perfection and i think that seal of perfection is what god declares is perfect in in beauty and i think only god is the form of perfection and beauty that's worth glorifying and that seal of perfection was just a mark that God had placed. And when you fall away from that, that beauty falls away. I mean, Psalms 50 verse two says, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. So God is the perfection of beauty. And um, Ezekiel 16, staying with Ezekiel, and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you declares mm. the lord of god so lucifer's beauty because god gave him the seal of perfection and the seal of beauty not because he is beautiful in of itself it's yeah. because that perfection of beauty the things that are most admirable about him were the were the, the things that god gave him to be admirable about and that's what's amazing the perfection of beauty is really god and that's what psalm 50 says the perfection of beauty is god and god shines forth and god shines forth in people's beauty and we have to remember that god made lucifer to be very beautiful and there's nothing wrong with being beautiful it's just that when he took on this like i was made to be beautiful glorify myself which doesn't really make sense because you were made to be beautiful to glorify the one that made you beautiful if I can just add in, it's interesting that it says that he was also a guarding cherub. Yeah. So not only, did, not only was he beautiful, but he was given a high position. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, uh, his, his um, 
how he turned out, I guess, is a testimony that true beauty truly lies within. Because he had high position, he had beauty on the outside, but yet on the inside, it was a different um, motives, I guess. Selfish motives. Yeah, absolutely. Evelyn, I see you nodding your head um, to this as well. What do you got to add? Nothing really. I, I really do agree with everything April was saying that the most beautiful people I have met have, have had God within them and you can just see God within them. And, and I totally agree with that. You know, yeah, he was beautiful, but you know, it's because God was within him and he's the real seal of perfection. He's the real seal of beauty. All the nature things that we see outside, the small things that you guys were talking about earlier, it's because God created them. He made them beautiful. And, and I think that's just so precious, you know, because even, you know, if you want to talk about people nowadays with their self-esteem, it's just they don't understand how beautiful they are, that God gave them that already. You know, it's just mm-hmm. keep pursuing him, keep looking for him, you know, and, and, you know, go after him because that beauty is just within you, like waiting to, to shine because God wants to shine within us so we can attract other people to him, you know, to worship the creator, mm-hmm. not the creation. Mm-hmm. And that's I why David that. so often says, and I mean, and Psalms 50 is not the only place where he says it. Psalms 29 as well. Psalms 29 too. Uh, David says, again, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So David really understood that the Lord is the source of all things that are beautiful, which is probably why he had a deep desire to build that temple. Yeah. And he accepted that he couldn't do it, but he, he understood that the Lord was beautiful. And the thing is, the Lord saw the beautiful qualities in him when they weren't very visible. As you remember, Samuel looked over, you know, Samuel looked at all of his brothers and was like, wow, maybe this one should be king, maybe that one. And the Lord saw the beauty of of David's heart. And I think that's why, through his experience, he knew that the Lord was a, a beautiful person inside and out. And you know, and we, we know from Spirit of Prophecy that David, he had a ruddy and, and glow. He, he was a healthy and beautiful person, but he wasn't, I guess, what that day and age thought was beautiful. And um, Evelyn, I know that a lot of people struggle, like, I'm not, consider what, I'm not considered what this day and age believes is beautiful. And people think because of this or because of that, I can't be considered beauty, beautiful. But the Lord picked David and the Lord chose him and made all those beautiful qualities shine out. And yeah. because of that, David can ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name because he is the perfection of beauty. Yeah. And I think that leads us to uh, another question that someone asked today that we weren't able to get to. And that is, can someone be drawn to God simply through the beauty of his nature without ever reading the Bible in his or her lifetime? So I think the essence of that question is, can someone see God without reading the Bible? Mm. And we've been talking about inner beauty versus outer beauty and some of those things. And ultimately, as we are transformed by God's power on the inside, as he makes us into new creations, uh, it's my belief, and I think the, the Bible, I get this from, from the Bible, that we then become living beauties that we are the, the, the beautiful expression of God to the people around us. 
And so there might be people that live on a block that don't read the Bible. There might be people that um, are at the, the grocery store and don't read the Bible. There might be people at our work that don't read the Bible or maybe people within our family that don't read the Bible. And we might be the only beautiful depiction of God in their life. And I think someone can be got, drawn to God because of that. Someone can be drawn to God because of nature. I remember uh, this past summer, um, I was on a, uh, a guy's trip and we were up in uh, Idaho and we had a chance to go uh, paragliding off of a mountain. And that was fantastic. I highly recommend that to anyone uh, who has the opportunity to go. But um, the guy I was with, uh, who was my pilot, um, we were, he was kind of like, yeah, I want to kind of hang out a little bit longer, let everybody kind of jump off the mountain and we'll go down afterwards. So we're not um, in the air with anybody and kind of make our way down. And as we're up there on the mountain, he's getting his, the parachute set out. And we're hard, he's got me harnessed up and, and him as well. And kind of, we're just, we're just talking. And um, he ultimately, you know, I kind of, you know, was asking him about his, what he did. He was a professional paraglider pilot and all this. And he was asking me what I do. And I told him I was a pastor and I worked at church and stuff. Um, and he asked me like, what denomination and that. And I asked him about, hey, are you connected to a faith community or anything like that? And he's like, yeah, kind of, but I've had some, you know, just turning points in my life that I, you know, I don't, don't really affiliate with Christianity or whatnot. And he's like, church is the mountains for me. When I get up in the mountains, like that's, that's where I feel God. And that's where, where I feel close to him. Um, and I was, I was like, man, I totally, I totally agree. He's like, yeah, you know, going to a building with some music and, and people that are mostly fake and not real and some of this stuff that doesn't really cut it for me. That's not church. Um, I, I have church when, when I come up here to the mountains, that's where I feel God meets me and I, and I meet God. Um, and I was taken aback at first, but then I really appreciated his perspective. Um, because he's just like, Hey, I, this is how I experience God. And I think, um, people that there will be people that are saved that have never laid their eyes on scripture, but by the working of the Holy spirit in their lives uh, and through the lives of others, they've experienced God and come to know a better way of living and have accepted Jesus, maybe even without knowing his name. That reminds me uh, when you were talking about that, that drew my mind to again, Psalms 19, uh, the whole chapter, and everybody is familiar with this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth, um, the end of the world. And them he has sent, set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. There's so much. And this is David, not from reading the scriptures. He is just looking at nature and declaring, Lord, you are beautiful, which is not saying this tree is beautiful. I'm going to worship it or I'm beautiful and I'm going to uplift myself. He is ascribing to the Lord the glory of his name because of beautiful things, including himself, because he says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I, I agree with uh, April and uh, Michael. And, you know, uh, I think it challenges us now as Christians uh, to live our lives as if we might be the only Bible that someone might read through our lifestyle, through our actions and through our words and, uh, and nature as well. God speaks. Uh, God reveals his love and mercy, you know, through nature. And uh, if you guys, you know, I love the duck pond. Everybody talks about the duck pond sometimes, but hey, the duck pond is beautiful. <laughs> God's love is there. <laughs> it it is. Right. You know, 
I was just walking there the other day and it was so beautiful. Um, the way the sun was just shining in on everything. And um, I want to make a list and I challenge anybody viewing this, uh, the way Proverbs describes it, Proverbs chapter 30. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, and the way of a ship on the high seas, mm -hmm. and the way a man is. So there's so many things that we can, maybe we can take the time to say, these things are way too wonderful for me, God. Like, I think writing these things down and, and ascribing to the Lord, yeah. there, are, there are so many things like, God, I don't understand why you did this so well. It's such a compliment. I mean, complimenting someone and saying, you did this so well. Why? How could you do this so well? I, that's, a, that's a beautiful compliment to give to God. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes we, in our, in our approaches to God, we uh, are focused on a, uh, how do I put it? How do I put it nicely? Um, focused on a logical or mental approach to God. Like, I, I need to know God and by amassing this knowledge of scripture i'm going to know god and we are very shy of experimenting or experiencing god and very shy of uh experimenting with our relationship with god yes uh, I, I know that that's where um they don't need to see me this is <laughs> this is the uh the crux of being a conservative christian this is where your there where you can be uh weak in that you 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 are predisposed to maybe not acknowledge the beauty that is around you and when you do that you cut out all this the stuff from the passages that april just read and yeah. you end up in a place where like man can you imagine what you're cutting out from your life when you're not able to acknowledge the beautiful things that are around you like what is really truly lost when our churches are not taken care of when they're not beautiful when we are not willing to, uh, to invest time and energy into the aesthetics of life. I think that we are missing opportunities to share the character of Christ in these, in these areas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, that's an evangelism that we have not taken advantage of yet. Right? It's very dangerous to not. It's, it's not it's very dangerous not to give glory to god mm, it's very dangerous i think yeah. i think it's it's something to to tell our kids and our kids tell our their kids it's it's very dangerous and david didn't save himself but there was a lot of terrible things he did and mm -hmm. his dedication to writing to the lord about him about the lord and the beauty of him and the beauty of god is what kept him attached to God. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate Jonathan interjecting in there. You know, it shows to go you. You never know who's in the room when you're on a Zoom call. <laughs> but one of uh, one of our shared mutual favorite professors, uh, Joanne Davidson, is actually her seminal work was on uh, a theology of, of beauty and aesthetics. Uh, and there was a, a quote from uh, her work towards a theology of beauty that I didn't get the chance to share this morning in Elevate that I want to share with you all now because I think it ties in with this perfectly. Uh, the aesthetic of scripture instructs that we must not permit the analytical and logical sphere of cognitive processing to restrict our vision of reality. That's a lot. We're going we're gonna to keep moving on. Instead... We are shown what is truly what it truly means to be human and to be created in the image of God. And though our humanity is now fallen, 
its aesthetic nature is still capable of much joy and feasting in this earth and to be followed by genuine, uh, though presently unfathomable glory to come. And that I love from from her work and, and what she writes about this, because if we focus so much on our our own or the, the logical forms that we find in scripture, we're focused so much on that that we miss the beauty. We miss the experience. We miss what it truly means to be human. Mm. Yes. I love, I love how in that class that she reads the passages from the Old Testament that describe all of the effort, all of the time and all the materials that went into creating the temple of God. And yeah. when we look at our churches, we're like, ah, that's not important. It's not important for it to look nice. It's not important for it to be well manicured and painted and put together. Are you? We got to buy glow tracks and feed the poor. And they poured everything into this temple because it was they a took symbol. It off themselves. Yes, it was a symbol of God's glory. And oh my goodness, like we have made God like this boring ascetic being. And come on, He created sunrises and sunsets and the the majesty of a simple rose. Like I. Can't. Yeah. I can't. Even even Solomon was not clothed oh. as beautifully, you know, Jesus that said, as right. this lily. I think brings us back to a point of humanity. How do we see when we focus on the beautiful things that God created? We are forced to focus on the things that may not be beautiful to us in our in our sinful nature because mm -hmm. we're seeking to find the beauty. And people love to people want to feel valued and they want to feel like they are loved and appreciated and that there is something for them. And mm -hmm. so when we look at the beauty of God, we are forced to find the beauty in people. And mm -hmm. I think of Paul when he writes in Philippians chapter three, not that I have already obtained this or am made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. And I think when Jesus has made us his own, then that's why Paul pressed on. We think, oh, Paul is this vigilante, that's this very conservative person that just throw off all things. He did it because Christ made him his own. In his, in his ugliness, in his terribleness, Christ saw something beautiful and worth valuing. And I think when we focus on the beauty of God, we are forced to see the things in other people that are worth valuing. And we realize that they are God's handiwork, even if they are disabled, even if they, even if they are not considered beautiful by the world standards, the world doesn't set the standards for beauty. God does. And if they're made, they're beautiful. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I don't have anything to add to that. I mean, I think that... <laughs> Samu, Evelyn, what are y'all's responses? I agree, April. Praise the Lord. That was great. That was great. <laughs> uh, nothing to add. Nothing to add. <laughs> no, I think, I think it was said perfectly uh, yesterday, talking about beauty and just the, and the smaller things. Um, I was picking up my, my nephew, and um, as he was looking out the window, it was sunsetting already, and he said, oh, my goodness. But look and I said yeah it's, isn't it so pretty and he said it actually looks like it was made by an artist and he's five and I just looked at him and I, like he he knows about God and he knows that he created but I don't think he understands that he actually designed that 
And I said, actually, yeah, it was made by an artist. God designed that. And he, you could just see, he was so excited. And I think, you know, how you were saying, April, I think it was you, how in the church, we kind of want to minimize beauty. You know, sometimes we, we don't want to talk about it, but it even attracts the, the smaller kids. You know, it's just, that's how you can reach many other people like you said by nature you know nature could be the bible or the gateway to god to anybody else and i just i think that's just so precious the way that god has designed the entire evolving like world in many you know you can find him in many different things you know not just through the church not just through the bible and i just think that's that's genius he is incredible he blows my mind every time and I think that ascription to God is beautiful because what is what can be more hurtful than someone taking away the beautiful thing that you made for that person and ascribing it to something at someone else? And that's exactly what Satan leads men to. Under if we're if we're if we're if we're really referring to the great controversy here, Satan is taking a jab at God every time he he encourages man to glorify themselves over God because it's taking away the ascription to God where it deserves and and, and just focusing on the created things. It, it's, it's hurtful and it, it's meant to hurt God. And if nobody, nobody watching this and, and nobody wants to be used by someone else to hurt someone else. And that's all Satan is doing. He's using people to hurt God because God made all these wonderful, beautiful things for us. And for us to say, wow, God, you really love us so much. And Satan is, Satan is using us to hurt God by, by not glorifying him for those things. And that, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Satan is trying to take a jab at God. And because he can't, like Pastor Michael said, he cannot create anything on his own. He's just mimicking things so that he can get the glory for it. What I think also is incredible to think about, uh, God literally in every corner of the world placed his fingerprints. You know, you think about the, the incredible expansive nature of the world. You think about all the humans that are living in this world and you read Psalm 139 and God is intimately acquainted with all of our ways and was, was with everybody in the womb. Even before we were born, he knew us. And his fingerprints are on us and on the world, the lives that we live, the, the sunsets that we see. And it boggles my mind that some, uh, and scripture says this, only a fool says in his heart that there is no God. Uh, and to think that God's fingerprints are all over the place. And we, as a, as a church, talk collectively about our Adventist church, we focused on the doom and gloom of what the end times are supposed to look like, according to Revelation. And here's a hot take. We ain't seen nothing yet. And it's going to be totally crazy and beyond any prediction that we can possibly make. But what it would look, what would it look like if we spent time focusing on a God of beauty, a God of love, a God that has laid out this incredible story of redemption and put it in this beautiful aesthetic form to, for us to experience. And we point people to a God of love who's looking to, to, to redeem this fallen world and create it into something new uh, again, wouldn't you like to be a part of a world that's made new where all of this passes away? Uh, the God that made that sunset we're looking at, that, that's, that's the God that's, that's going to be doing that. And if we painted God wait, in that wait. picture. You're getting too radical here because should we be like Jesus who asked 
on the cross that people would be forgiven, like he showed love, or, or the martyr Stephen when he had his face shown like the sun mm -hmm. when he was being stoned. I mean, these people weren't focused on the doom and gloom. You're saying that we shouldn't focus on the doom and gloom of the end times, that we should focus on. I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused here. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, unfortunately, uh, I think we can get so distracted by trying to pinpoint when Jesus is coming back. Because if we can somehow pinpoint when Jesus is coming back, and we can look at COVID-19 and say, oh, that's a sign of Jesus coming. It's the third trumpet, the fifth seal, and the corroborated with this plague. Obviously, it's going to be next Tuesday that begins the, the end of times. And I'm talking very facetiously here. Um, so don't, <laughs> don't completely throw out everything I say. But when we do that, we miss the, the whole entire point of the Bible and scripture. And it's that a God is coming to redeem his people, not only a God, the God. And I think I'd rather focus on the, the realness of God instead of studying, studying all the counterfeits of Satan. Because Satan's the one at the end of time that's ultimately going to gain some control over this world that he doesn't have now and is going to be allowed to, to let things play out as if he were the one that's in total control. And I don't, I don't want to study that in the same way that the, the people that study money to figure out what's a counterfeit and what's not, they don't study the counterfeit, they study the real thing. Because if they know the real thing, they're not going to need to know anything else because they can automatically recognize, ah, that's, that's not real. Wow. Do you, you recall back in the days when the disciples were up in the upper room and they were, they all left, uh, they all left aside their agenda. They didn't focus on anything, but focused on what they knew to be true. And that's when the outpour, uh, the outpour came is when they left aside their preconceived ideas and focused on what God wanted to show them. So what you're trying to say, Pastor Michael, is that we shouldn't be praying for the outcome, but we should be praying for the outpour by focusing on Jesus. You know, uh, that would be a fantastic way to summarize that. <laughs> because I, well, I'm feeling I'm, I'm riding that wave. <laughs> you know, and I, this is kind of tangential to it. Somebody did uh, pose the question um, in full transparency on our on our Slido, and they said, uh, "Is the coronavirus a sign that Jesus is coming soon?" Uh, yes and no. Yes, absolutely. It's a sign that Jesus is coming soon. We can read Matthew 24. These are the things that are given to, to show that Jesus is coming soon. Uh, but is it the, the sign that is like, oh, we're headed into the trumpets, we're headed into the plagues, this, that, and thing? I don't know. It'll probably become a whole lot more clear when Jesus comes back and then we look back and we'll be like, oh, okay, that's where we missed it. But the point is, in all of this, is if we're spending our time taking in the news spending our time saying, woe is me because I'm at home, I'm quarantined. Woe is me because of all this is happening. Uh, the end of the world is going to be coming. We're going to have to go run to the, the, the hills. And what am I going to do for food? And can I find toilet paper and all this other stuff? Like, what? I, I don't need to be worried about that right now because I know that there's a God in heaven who loves me. And if I'm diligent to follow the path that he's laid out before me, and I see the fingerprints of his beauty, and I see how he's been working in my life and the lives of those around me, what better place can I find myself when Jesus comes back than doing what he's asked me to do? That's true. And um, I just want to add that um, I was asked that question as well. Somebody asked that, you know, with the COVID-19 and everything that's going on, is this the time to leave the city and go to the country, go to the mountains? I tell you, you know, if you're truly connected and the Holy Spirit is truly leading your life, you'll know when that time will come. 
But um, I, uh, I believe, I feel at this time, uh, yeah, it is a sign that Christ is coming soon. But I feel that God is using us at this time to minister. And so in our sphere of, uh, of influence, in our communities, stay where you're at, minister. Because there are people who need you know, God during this time. And, you know, if you're going off into hiding somewhere or, you know, running off, then, uh, you know, I don't think it's time. It's come to that point yet. But I think uh, what God is wanting us to do through this COVID-19 is minister and do community out there. It's not yet time for the portraits to leave the gallery and be put in the vault. And what I mean by that, we are masterpieces that God has created. We are living displays of his beauty and of his character and of his love. And it's not yet time for us to disappear from this earth and totally remove the expression of God through us. So as we see a God of beauty, we're reflecting a God of beauty and that's rubbing off on the people that we intersect with each and every day. Yes, it is. And I think when we worry and when we don't, you know, Matthew chapter six talks about this all in the same, same section where mm -hmm. it says, seek first the kingdom of righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. These things aren't listed because these things are different per individual. And that could be safety and security because I'm scared. And that fear, it sparks in us a self-preservation um, tangent where we just want to preserve ourselves. And whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And that's something that's very scripturally sound. We shouldn't seek to save our life. We should seek to follow the kingdom of Christ first. And God will, God will supply all of our needs. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yeah, I tell you that even Solomon in all the splendor was not dressed like one of these. And so he, he talks, he says, even the pagans, the pagans run after these things. The pagans worry about, is there going to be food tomorrow? Are we going to have to worry? And that's why we have people stocking up on stuff and hoarding lots of things is because they're worried. They're worried about the future. And Jesus is saying the pagans are running after these things. The people that don't know me, they're the ones running after these things, but your heavenly father will supply all your need. Look at the beautiful things around you. God has supplied their need. You are much more beautiful and much more valuable. And I will supply your need as well. I just meant, I just said, that's really comforting, you know, and I think people should, you know, claim that and always say that in their heads over and over, you know, God's got me. And that's ultimately a beautiful thing that the God of the universe would care about me and that he would care about you and that he would be uh, bothered, not even bothered, that he'd appreciate to be connected with us and to look after us. And that same passage, uh, God taking care of the, the sparrows, you know, how much more does he, does he care for me? You know, one little sparrow dies and that's something that it touches God's heart. How much more does it touch God's heart when we go through these trials. And as much as we could be suffering right now, imagine how much God is suffering. We don't talk about the suffering of God, of his longing for us to be with him. 
but that he's yet holding out on coming back because there might be one more. There's always room for one more, right? There might be one more who would be turned to him because of a living, beautiful masterpiece that he's painted in you and in me. Oh, and when we worry and, and go into a self-preservation mode, we, we, we eject ourselves from that work that God has placed us here for. Um, because God has placed us here to reach that one more, to be there. But when we go into self-preservation mode, that means we withdraw from people. We withdraw from helping because we're scared of what might happen. But the Lord hasn't given us the spirit of fear. And when you see Stephen, the moment he was being stoned, like he literally was praying that these people would be forgiven and that they would come to know God. Like how in the world that kind of spirit does not exist unless it is from the Holy Spirit, really, truly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, I think we've uh, reached the conclusion on this conversation. And studying this week, I had no idea that we would land in this spot in Elevate Overtime to go from uh, the, the theology of beauty and have that totally and perfectly, completely uh, conclude and wrap up and summarize how we should be living that the theology of beauty would influence our eschatology our understanding of the end times Uh, and i think that that's a really really cool thing and for those of you that are watching the live stream right now those of you that are going to watch this later um, or hearing this later we want to encourage you in um, where you're at right now Um, encourage you to try beauty to see the beauty of God uh, in, in nature around you, in your family, in your life, and to experience God in a new way and to experiment with your relationship with Him. Thank you so much for listening today. You know, this conversation was one of my favorites to have in our overtime sessions, just to, to see the depth that we got to and to see how beauty is an expression of worship. And how we appreciate beauty says a lot about our God and says a lot about who we are as Christians. And I encourage you and I invite you to try beauty. Maybe you haven't necessarily understood what that means in your life and it's been a little bit vague, but hopefully today you've gotten a little bit of a deeper insight into what it means to appreciate beauty around you and how that can point you back to God. Thank you so much for listening. As always, share this podcast with someone who you think needs it right now. And we look forward to seeing you on Monday for our next episode of Elevate Retake in our series, You Gotta Try This.